PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you prepare for hashtag EM life one rapid podcast at a time. My name is Blake Briggs, sadly not joined today by Dr. Hussein. More on that in a second. You know that for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs. We're also on Meta. And of course, we have our premium podcast, but more on that later. Dr. Hussein will sadly not be joining us this week. He is actually on a remote tropical island in the Pacific. No joke, I actually think he is there on one of those islands. We didn't really talk about this before he left. Is it in the Indian Ocean or Pacific Ocean? I'm not sure. It's in that region, essentially. I'm not sure what the actual border between oceans is. I think that's a question that plagues a lot of people, really. Although, as I'm recording this, he has already returned from his trip, I believe, so this whole thing is a a mute point. But anyway, today we're going to be talking about a really cool review of some oral maxillary facial issues, H-E-N-T kind of subject, so let's get into it. We have a 21-year-old male presenting with left jaw pain and trismus. He states he got into an altercation at a bar last night. He states he decided to go to a pub to watch the World Cup. He soon got very irritated and drunk with other fans as there was no scoring and the game ended in a tie. He states he saw cheering among fans despite the score being 0-0 and was very confused. He became even more confused once people told him that a tie can still get you to the final. After insulting another fan's choice of drink and hurling other miscellaneous insults about their country of origin, including the fact that they use the metric system, he was punched in the face. He tells you he was sucker punched and that you should have seen the other guy. He arrives at your ED ambulatory with trismus. He has a CT showing a mandibular fracture. Which of the following is the most likely location of his fracture? Choice A, mandibular body. Choice B, mandibular angle. Choice C, mandibular condyle. Choice D, mandibular ramus. Correct answer here is going to be choice C, the condyle of the mandible. So we're going to talk about these pesky facial fractures. I know what you're thinking. You know, hey, in residency, we just call plastic surgery or OMFS, oral maxillary facial surgery. Well, I take umbrage with that for many reasons. (laughs) For starters, most shops don't have a surgical specialist you can just call and have them come to the ED and see the patient. That's a luxury, isn't it? Also, even if they did come to evaluate, do they really have to? For many reasons. One, time, waiting on that consult. Two, the cost, right, for the patient, billing for an ED consult that's not really necessary. Anyway, the majority of facial fractures don't need any operative intervention until assessment outpatient. There are some key caveats you must know for the test and in real life when it comes to facial fractures and which ones need emergent evaluation. So let's dive into the boring, semi-interesting, and downright scary facial fractures. But first, of course, it's the holiday season, so we have to promote the greatest gift we could give you, our listeners, our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs, but want a TikTok version of our podcast, that is what 
EM Rapid Moms is for. We prepare you for boards, but not only boards, but clinical practice. Our key motto here is not wasting your time just studying for boards, doing both at the same time. We have over 300 episodes, we're going to hit 300 this week, and counting on EM Rapid Bombs, and each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop some high-yield bombs in a question-answer format, and we go through coaching as well, telling you at the end of the episode what to expect on the test, what the exact question pretty much is going to be like when it comes to this topic, and also telling you, hey, in real life, you may do something different, and that's totally cool. So don't waste your time studying for the test with traditional question banks. Optimize your time, listen to our board pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with life. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can look at the show notes of this podcast as well. You can find the link on EM Board Bombs main website also. Okay, let's delve into this. Again, we're talking about facial fractures. So starters, we have to talk about the airway, right? So you didn't think we would cover facial fractures without mentioning intubation, did you? So you have to respect the airway here. Up to 44% with severe facial injury require intubation. You want to consider an awake intubation if the patient is maintaining respiratory status. Whenever there's displacement of the maxilla or mandible posteriorly, this can decrease airway patency. So mandibular fractures and Lefort fractures can be very detrimental to the patient's breathing and can also be a big issue when you're trying to intubate. Also imagine that a lot of these patients have C-spine precautions adding to the difficulty. So fiber optic is a great choice for a lot of these patients. Okay, I guess we'll start off with the easiest fracture, nasal bone fractures. So if you have a nasal bone fracture, you need to call plastic surgery for immediate ED consultation. Just kidding. (laughs) I couldn't keep a straight fist that long. Nasal bone fractures with no significant displacement, those go home every single time. Give them routine follow-up. Please, please, gosh, please do not wake up your plastic surgeon or OMFS for a nasal bone fracture, and please do not waste anyone's time with that. If these don't have any displacement, which the vast majority do not, even if they have small amount of displacement, there's nothing to do in the ED. That is outpatient follow-up. Okay, now it's time to go bone by bone here. Let's start with the frontal bone because, well, it's in, it's in front, so let's just got to start somewhere. So the frontal bone is quite thick. These are uncommon. Many of you may have never seen a frontal bone fracture, which makes sense because humans are quite hard-headed individuals. And imagine the amount of times we have hit the front of our big, fat heads on things. So if you break part of this bone, that requires a lot of force and a dangerous mechanism. It's an uncommon fracture. So you always want to think of coexisting traumatic brain injury or cervical spine injuries too. So you can fracture two parts of this. There is an anterior table and a posterior table. Basically, that's the front and the back of the frontal bone. If the posterior table is fractured, that means there is likely intracranial exposure to the outside. The dura adheres to the posterior table. So a through-and-through fracture is going to need operative repair. You want to call neurosurgery on all these patients for an ED evaluation. If you don't have neurosurgery, you're going to have to transfer the patient. For the anterior table fractures, well, these can follow up routinely. Okay, now for orbital fractures. This is our biggest section. Um, You know, the orbit is made up of a lot of bones. You don't have to memorize them. (laughs) This isn't a plastic surgery podcast. There's a lot to unpack here about the fractures in the orbit. And I would argue that this is going to be the most high-heeled 
section of facial fractures for test questions. Just a lot of stuff you could ask. You could ask about neurologic findings. You could ask about this weird vascular bradycardia syndrome that happens. Uh, you know, we're not going to get into that this podcast. A lot of the extra stuff on orbital fractures we cover on our Rapid Bombs podcast. So again, if you're a subscriber, you get all that juicy content. So feel free to sign up and get that extra content that'll tell you some of the details on orbital fractures. So let's start with the most important part of the orbit, which is the eye. You want to assess for globe trauma and do a proper eye exam. Since it's the World Cup, I'm trying to sound more European. Proper eye exam. Not every orbital fracture is a blowout fracture. An orbital blowout fracture is any fracture of the inferior medial walls, which are the most fragile. That could be a test question, unfortunately. So what is a true blowout fracture? A true blowout means that there is adipose tissue that is leaking out of the orbit, or the inferior rectus muscle can herniate and get trapped. And what you'll see on exam typically is diplopia on the upward gaze. Classic exam finding, classic photo prompt they give you on the test. You could also have numbness of the cheek and middle face concerning for nerve entrapment from you know leaving the form and of the facial bones. Now fractures of other portions of the orbit and fractures of the orbital ridge can result in you know from high energy impacts and are frequently associated with other fracture injuries. So a thorough eye exam is crucial here. One third of orbital wall fractures have ocular trauma. So you need to do a complete eye exam. Again, complete eye exam, which doesn't mean you just, you know, move your finger around and have them follow it. You need to do visual acuity and visual fields, as well as a pupillary exam. You need to do a slit lamp exam, potentially if there's concern for corneal abrasion or other traumatic findings of the eye. And of course, intraocular pressure testing. There's four major exam features, things that you could see on the test or in real life, which are very concerning. One which is very rare, is called a teardrop pupil. This implies there's a globe rupture. Proptosis is a concern for retrobulbar hematoma. Anophthalmos means that the eye is pushed backward. It's posterior displaced in the globe and it's suggestive of increased orbital volume due to a fracture. Diplopia on upward gaze, we talked about this, just a quick review. If you have diplopia on upward gaze, you're going to be having entrapment of the inferior rectus muscle. Now, hyphema could also be there. You could have an afferent pupillary defect. You could have pain on extraocular eye movement, which is not that specific at all. Everyone's going to have pain on extraocular eye movement, especially if they have an orbital fracture. Totally normal, nothing to hesitate really on, as long as they are able to move their extraocular eye muscles. And of course, the retrobulbar hematoma I mentioned earlier is concerning for ocular compartment syndrome. And these patients would potentially need a lateral canthotomy. So any isolated orbital fractures with no entrapment or other ocular complications, they can follow a bowel patient. You can always call your local surgeon if you have a good relationship with them and arrange an appointment. Remember your main goal as an emergency physician is to not only diagnose orbital fractures, but to rule out the scary stuff we just mentioned, the open globes, the retrobulbar hematoma, the signs of entrapment. This is all very critical, and I see a lot of people either overstep or don't step far enough when it comes to diagnosing these problems. Meaning, they look at the CT scan, the CT scan suggests that there might be entrapment, and they don't clinically correlate. So do your own exam. Don't just report what the CT shows, do a thorough eye exam. It's kind of silly to call an ophthalmologist and not report visual acuity, in my opinion. That's like calling a cardiologist without an EKG. So make sure you're doing the right thing or your patients.
any patient with an open globe injury or retrobulbar hematoma, those are ocular emergencies, obviously. They should be evaluated by ophthalmology and plastic surgery or OMFS in the ED. If you do not have that specialty, of course, you're going to transfer the patient to an ED that has this capability. And of course, before you transfer them, you're going to be performing a lateral canthotomy if you have to or lowering the eye pressure emergently in the ED if you have to. Now, urgent, you know, within 24-hour surgeon evaluation should be done for patients with signs of entrapment or other non-emerging complications. You, of course, will discuss this with your surgeon. These are the patients you call about ahead of time and arrange follow-up really closely, or they see them in the ED. It's kind of up to them. So those that have isolated orbital fractures with no entrapment, what are the standard precautions you're telling patients when you discharge them? You want to make sure to prescribe nasal decongestants and instruct the patient to use them for three days. Also, you want to make sure to detail nose-blowing precautions. Sounds silly. I know that that's like a dot phrase everyone puts in their notes if they're a plastic surgeon when they come down to assess for facial fractures, but it's actually like a real thing you should talk to your patients about. Now, uncomplicated patients that we just described, they can have close one-week outpatient facial trauma follow-up and ophthalmology as well if they have any pain with eye movement, etc. Now, what about antibiotics? We go into more detail on orbital fractures in our Rapid Bombs podcast, including when to give antibiotics, and the poor evidence behind them. Okay, let's move on to the next fracture class, nasoorbital ethmoid fractures, or not just nasal bridge fractures, which never need a consult. Uh, oh my gosh. These involve the deeper ethmoid bone, and that's broken. You need to assume there is significant force applied to the nasal bridge. It's usually accompanied with intracranial injury, so I'm you know, you can image the brain if you haven't done so yet. If you're just getting that CT face, you need to go back and do the CT head as well, probably too. In these ethmoid fractures, you may see something called traumatic telecanthus, which honestly, when I first read that, sounds like a Star Trek thing where there's a complication from the transporter beaming someone up. Traumatic telecanthus. It's like Bones from Star Trek has patients in the sick bay and he calls Captain Kirk and he's like, we have a case of traumatic telecanthus. We need to dock immediately at the next spaceport. And then Spock or Captain Kirk would reply by saying there's some risk or something of going to immediate light speed to go to the spaceport. And then, of course, you know, Bones would reply saying, Damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not an engineer, or something like that. Damn it, man. I'm a doctor, not a torpedo technician. Anyway, in reality, it's this strange situation where you have widening of the normal interpupillary distance. Honestly, just Google it. Look up a photo of it. I'm not going to go into detail anymore on this. It's not always present. It's missed sometimes on exam. Anyway, whatever. All these fractures, the nasoorbital ethmoid fractures, they require admission for facial and neurosurgery evaluation and fixation, potentially. These are deep, scary fractures. Uh, these patients don't really go home. Okay, what about the zygomatic bone? The zygoma, which is actually a funnier word than you think it is when you say it out loud, the zygoma forms... Zygoma sounds like a planet in Star Trek, too. I'm not even a big Star Trek fan. Zygoma forms the inferior and lateral walls of the orbit and the superior and lateral roof of the maxillary sinus. Do you have to memorize that? Absolutely not. So any isolated zygomatic arch fracture, they can be discharged home without patient follow-up routinely. Nothing special to do here as long as they have no other injuries, no other deficits, etc. Now, a tripod fracture needs a little bit more. What is the tripod fracture? A tripod fracture is, I've seen a rush question on this, so I'm not just like going to left field here, but the tripod itself is made up of the zygomatico-maxillary complex, which is insanely hard to spell, you can imagine. Zygomatico-maxillary complex, ZMC for short. This is considered both an orbital and a sinus fracture. 
So any of those fractures need a call to your plastic surgeon. If there's no significant displacement or you know, no eye involvement, they can also be arranged for outpatient follow-up. This is the one you call about, though, because these do need to be seen relatively soon. And of course, any eye involvement involves an in-person evaluation like we talked about with the orbital fractures, right? Good. Okay, wrapping things up here, pretty much going to have two classes left of fractures. Now it's time for all you've been waiting for, Lefort fractures. These are mid-face fractures that are uncommon, and practically speaking, there's no reason for you to memorize these at all. But the test wants you to. <laughs> it's always the silliest thing. I remember when I learned this for IT and residency, I was like, why are we memorizing this? This is so random. But you absolutely must remember the three types of Lefort fractures for the ITE and the boards. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. These are very dramatic injuries. There's a high probability, like 50% of other skull, ocular, and orbital fractures. And bleeding can be significant too. I feel like we need to add some uh, horn music for this. Uh, cue it, Chris. <laughs> Okay, we see you, Lefort. You can, you can stop trying. This is pretty intense stuff. So here are the types, and then I will discuss the ways to remember them. There are three types again, right? The Lefort class one is separating the body of the maxilla from the pterygoid plate and nasal septum. Lefort two is through the central maxilla and hard palate. Type three, facial bones are separated from the skull. Pretty scary stuff here. And for all of these, you'll want to make sure the airway is protected, give IV antibiotics, and admit. No one's going home. These are very straightforward. That's why it's kind of silly. You have to memorize them because you know when you see the Lefort, you're only going to diagnose it based on CT. You're going to get the CT read. You're going to look at the CT, and you're going to call your surgeon, and they're going to be admitted. That's just it. And they usually have other injuries. The way you remember this is speak no evil for type 1 because it involves the pterygoid plate and the body of the maxilla. Type 2, Lefort, is going to be see no evil because it involves the lower part of the orbit and the hard palate. And then type 3, hear no evil, and that's because it involves facial bones separating from the skull around the zygomatic complex, closer to the ear. So those are the three types. Speak no evil, see no evil, hear no evil. Okay, last section here, we're wrapping this up, mandibular fractures. What about the tongue blade test? It's perfect. It's awesome. It's a great test. I use it every day. Well, not every day. I don't see that many mandibular fractures. <laughs> but when I do see them, I do use the tongue blade test. In patients with suspected mandibular fractures, the test is found to be 96% sensitive, 65% specific. It's a very sensitive test. It's great to use. What you do is you ask the patient to bite down on a wooden tongue blade, and then you twist the blade. And if the tongue blade cannot be broken without causing pain, then the test is considered positive and you could be concerned for a mandibular fracture. Now, again, it doesn't diagnose it. You still need to do the imaging. That is the concern from this test. So you're going to look in the mouth on your exam, do a good dental exam. All fractures are presumed to be open unless otherwise identified when it's a mandibular fracture. Most mandibular fractures are fractured in two spots, not one. Now, traditional teaching states that most mandibular fractures occur in pairs because of the bone structure. And a case series found that this was pretty true, about 42% involved a single fracture, meaning that the other 60% or so, the rest of them, did involve two different fractures. So it's not 100%. You can have a single fracture, but definitely expect two. For the test, the mandibular condyle is the most commonly fractured part of the mandible, hence the correct answer on our test question today. Now, these need surgical follow-up. If they're not hugely displaced and not open and their airway's fine, you don't need to call at 4 a.m., but it's good to arrange follow-up with these patients just because some may benefit from wiring, some may benefit 
from a fixation, but some of these, most of these patients can just fall palpation. You're gonna need antibiotics for all these open mandibular fractures as well. All right, that is it, that wraps it up. So let's quickly do a nice review. Frontal bone fractures. If it's anterior table, they can fall routinely. If it's the posterior table, you need to call neurosurgery because there's brain involvement. Orbital fractures, so much to talk about here. Always assess for ocular injury. You're gonna look for a true blowout fracture which involves adipose tissue and or inferior rectus muscle which can herniate and get trapped. You're gonna see diplopia on the upward gaze if that's the case. Also need to look for proptosis in ophthalmos. Look for a retrobulbar hematoma. Always rule out ocular compartment syndrome. Think about lateral canthotomy for some of these patients. For those that have an uncomplicated orbital fracture with no entrapment, they can follow up routinely. For those that do have any entrapment or any other scary things, you're going to call your local surgeon regarding this, and some of them may be able to go home still. Naso-orbital ethmoid fractures are probably the most rare, kind of strange one we've talked about. Those 100% get admitted every time whenever it involves the ethmoid bone. And there's this thing called traumatic telecanthus, which is not just a Star Trek disease term. It is also a issue that happens with ethmoid fractures. Zygomatica, the zygomatic bone is going to have two types of fractures. An isolated zygomatic arch can go home with no problems. And tripod fracture, which is the zygomatic maxillary complex, which is a really fun word to say once you get the hang of it. Ilfly couldn't do that. The ZMC, considered an orbital and sinus fracture, if it's just isolated with no displacement, they can probably go home, but you want to call over the phone in the ED about a tripod fracture. Unfortunately, they usually involve other problems. Lefort fractures, we've got three types, type one, two, and three. Type one is speak no evil, which involves the body of the maxilla, pterygoid plate. Type two involves the central maxilla and hard palate in the lower part of the orbit, so that's see no evil. And finally, type three involves all the way up to the zygomatica area, which is hear no evil, because of the displaced facial bones separated from the skull. Nice, happy pictures. <laughs> okay, mandibular fractures, we talked about how good the tongue plate test is, and of course, we talked about condylar fractures being the most common, not always gonna be happening in two different spots. Usually you can have a solo mandibular fracture. Most of these can follow about patient as well, but probably calling your plastic surgeon is a good idea. Some patients can be candidates for surgery. All right, that is it. We hope Ilfot joins us next time if you're in the United States. We hope you enjoyed a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening and sign up for EM Rapid Bombs. We will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.